good morning, afternoon, or evening for wherever you may be joining us from today. Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. of the Lord this morning is that all right you like just letting God move and let him have his way a church alive is worth the drive amen I'm glad to come to a house of the Lord where his presence can be felt where hearts can be touched where somebody's life can be changed where somebody can receive the Holy Ghost amen I don't think the Lord is done I think before we leave this place somebody's gonna be filled with the Holy Ghost Amen. Amen. You turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And while you're doing that, I don't want to hold you too long today. I heard someone once say, and it resonated with me, I'm a short preacher, but I'm also a short husband, a short father. I'm just a short person, so that has nothing to do with my preaching. I'm used to having two services on Sunday morning. The second one starts at 11 o'clock, and we go till about 1.30 in the afternoon. So for me, I've got plenty of time. Uh, but I don't want to hold you too long today. So while you're turning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let me say how wonderful it is to be with all of you in Ontario and to, to uh, escape the, the heat of South Florida and come to this nice spring weather, so I'm told. I pulled out my knee-length jacket that I have never worn until Friday. It's been hanging in the closet for such a time as this. And the Lord saw fit for me to get to wear it. And I've been enjoying this weather and the snow tubing and the service we had Friday night and Tim Hortons and all of the wonderful things of our big brother up north and it's good to be here with all of you especially with pastor and sister O'Donnell and Luke and Grace it's good to be with all of you Uh, you may not realize this but pastor O'Donnell and Luke went with our church and our group to Ecuador this past summer we got to hang out for 10 days didn't get much sleep went to a lot of church we just had a wonderful time together and we planned to be here uh, I think during Youth on Missions, we, we made plans to come be here, and God brought us to it, and, and amen, we're going to have a move of the Lord today, amen? Even before we start preaching today, I want your faith, I want you to let your faith begin to arise. We're going to experience the presence of the Lord here today. Before we leave this place, somebody's life is going to be changed, amen? There's something wonderful about the apostolic church, we can see spontaneous life change, We can see God move in a moment, in an instance, and someone's heart be changed. Today, it's going to, there's not going to be a curveball or a change up. We're going to go straight down the pipe, fastball, high heat. We're going to give it right. We're going to preach right out of the word of God and just declare what God's word says. And we're going to see God work and he's going to confirm his word today. Amen. Amen. Can we turn in our Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, 
I declare unto you the gospel. Somebody say the gospel. Which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein ye stand. By which also you are, sir, you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This morning, we're going to talk about the gospel a little bit. We're going to talk about what that is. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know we're in youth weekend, and, and tonight I promise we'll, we'll aim it, a little laser focus a little more to our young people. But this morning I just felt led that, that somebody needs to hear the gospel, the saving message that, that, that'll pull you out of the fire and pick you up and turn you around and set your feet on solid ground, the saving message of Jesus Christ today. I want to preach from, from that passage and from this title, the gospel you need to hear. The gospel you need to hear. Amen. You may be seated. The gospel. What is the gospel? Man, that's a phrase that we hear a lot on Christian radio and on Facebook and social media. People talk about the gospel. We hear the phrase often in church. But what is the gospel? There are all sorts of gospels these days. We've got gospel music. I like gospel music. Anybody gospel music fans out there? I like some gospel music. There are gospel quartets. I like some quartet music. There, are, there is the often neglected but highly underrated southern gospel. Now, y'all might not know anything about that, but I'm from South Carolina. I live in Florida, but I'm South Carolina boy. And there's southern gospel. Not to mention the Apostle Paul warned of against the temptation to turn to other gospels that false teachers would preach and today we see a lot of these other gospels you're familiar with some the prosperity gospel the social gospel the poverty gospel the suffer for success gospel the god is love only gospel the christless gospel you know people are preaching ways to be saved without jesus today there's the therapeutic gospel, the formulist gospel, the moralist gospel, judgmentless gospel, the social club gospel. Let's get together and have fun, be a community, but no real gospel there. There's the activist gospel. Let's join together around a cause and God will appreciate our saving his planet and, and, and he'll bring us to heaven because of it. And the list could go on and on. People want to save the whales and save the trees and save the pigs and there's all sorts of gospels that are being preached. We saw a little bit of that this morning. Paul was not fighting a straw man. He was not chasing windmills. He was not attacking a, a false enemy when he preached against other gospels. In fact, it may be more difficult to hear the actual gospel preached in most churches today then all these other gospels that you can find easily being preached across pulpits all across North America and around the world. But there is a gospel you need to hear today. There is a gospel that will save your soul. There is a gospel that may not promise riches and health or material gain. But this gospel will lead you to eternal life. Amen. 
Now, this isn't in my notes. And normally my wife would be sitting right over here around where Brother Luke is sitting. And when I stop preaching from my notes, she'll give me the eyebrow, which means don't say anything you shouldn't say. But she's not here today. In fact, she's a couple thousand miles away. So I can say what I want. This gospel will lead you to eternal life. And sometimes I think we as ministers, we forget the most important offering that we could share with people. We talk about how God will heal you and deliver you and bless you and put money in your bank account and bless your family and put your marriage back together. And oh yeah, we believe in that. But you know what the greatest thing that we can offer as a church? There is an eternal life to be gained. We have, we have no, death has no power over us. One day when we find the end of this gospel, the trumpet's going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise first to meet him in the air and those of us that are alive and remain will be called up to meet him amen this gospel will give you eternal life man they searched for the fountain of youth they searched in my part of the world in Florida Ponce de Leon they thought it was maybe there but there is no fountain of eternal life But there is access to eternal life through this gospel. The word gospel is the English translation of the Greek word euangelion. I went to Bible school. I learned some Greek. And you just heard all the Greek that I learned in Bible school. The euangelion. And its literal translation is the good news. When we preach the gospel the Bible way, we are preaching the good news. Without the good news, it isn't the gospel. So what is the gospel? What is this good news that you need to hear today? All right, here it goes. We're going to give, I'm going to just lay it out there for you. Here's the gospel. I hope you're ready. Buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. The gospel. You are a sinner. Isn't that good news? Yes, you are a sinner. You are far from God. And because of it, you are doomed to death and eternity in the lake of fire. Woo! Good news. I promise it'll get better than that. You see, sometimes we talk about a savior and people don't know what they need a savior for. Imagine, if you will, one, night, one evening you're in your palatial mansion. I know many of you live in large palatial mansions. And on the west wing of your house, there is a fire a-brewing. But you're, you're several hundred square feet away. And you don't notice. You don't see it. And the fire department shows up. They kick in your door. Masks on. Axes over their shoulder. They run up to your bedroom. Push the door in. And they say, we're here to save you. You're going to say, from what? what? What do I need saving for? You know, I think that a lot of people come to church and we talk about the Savior. And we talk about the deliverer and the healer and the one that will set you free. And they go, from, from what? Why, why do I need a Savior? And that's why we must begin every gospel message with this truth. You are a sinner. The good news today does not begin with Jesus in a manger or a savior or a healer or a miracle worker. The good news begins with the bad news. The story of the Bible 
The story that you need to hear today doesn't begin in the New Testament or in a manger at Christmas or on a cross or in the New Testament at all or in the book of Acts. I'm sorry. In fact, the gospel story must begin in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Before we hear the good news, we have to hear the bad news. Now, people don't particularly like this kind of preaching. Most people want to start in Matthew and and get all into Luke and hear about the baby in the manger and the animals gathered round and the star and the angels. And, oh, it's beautiful. Isn't it wonderful? And turning water into wine and walking on the water and and feeding 5,000. We like that. But we like to skip the first 4,000 years of biblical history. And sometimes, because of that, we preach another gospel. A lot of churches have decided that it's not good for their constituency. It's not good for their marketing campaign to talk about this part of the gospel. The gospel begins with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They have been made in the image and likeness of God. They commune with him. They walk with God in the cool of every day. Their world is a paradise. No lying, cheating, or stealing. No war, famine, or pestilence. No coronavirus. Hallelujah. None of the vices and dangers that we grapple with today that destroy bodies and lives and homes and families. Adam and Eve experienced none of that. They live in a peace and harmony. And all they have to do was enjoy God's creation and obey one commandment. You know the story. Genesis 2, 15 through 17 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. One commandment. That's it. All you got to do. Don't eat the fruit. That's it. But why? I've taught enough Bible studies. Pastor, you've taught enough Bible studies. Somebody, the the inquisitive in the room is going to say, but but why? Why is the tree even there? Why? If the Lord knows all things, the end from the beginning, he surely knew Adam and Eve would eat of the fruit. Why didn't he just take the tree and toss it out in the ocean somewhere and say, well, we won't have to deal with that at all. Because God allows us to be free moral agents that decide for ourselves. You can choose this day whether you're going to serve the Lord or not. You are not held captive by a, by a biology that will not allow you to go astray. or, or the, you're, you're not uh, ruled by instinct that will not allow you to choose like the animal kingdom. No, we have a choice. You can decide today whether you want to serve the Lord or not. Adam and Eve were given that choice. The very first people that were ever created were given a choice. You can live in paradise. You can live in joy and peace and happiness. You can live in communion with God. Or you can choose what you believe to be your own better way. One commandment. God allowed man to choose. But God offered a warning with that choice. If you choose to do life your way, you will mess it up. You will bring destruction on yourself, and you will surely, surely die. Sometimes we think of Adam and Eve eating that fruit, and God sends judgment. In fact, sinful decisions that we make will bring their own source of judgment upon our life. In fact, when God expels Adam and Eve from the garden, when he casts them out, you know the garden still had access to the tree of life. 
Adam and Eve could have turned and went to the tree of life and ate of a fruit that would give them eternal life and they would have lived perpetually in sin and separation from God. When God removes them from the garden, this is an act of grace that says you will not be separated from me eternally. There will be a hope for you. Adam and Eve failed. They ate of the fruit. Sin entered the world. Who's my, where are my parents in the room? So you can testify to this truth. God says you can have all of the fruit in the garden, but not that fruit. And if you're a parent, you know, that meant all they wanted was that fruit. My baby boy, Jake, he's three years old. He's a good guy. But if you tell him no, he starts itching. You'll say, Jake, if you touch your sister, I will beat you. Can you say that in Canada still? Is that okay? I will scold you harshly. Time out. You will go to time out. You know what Jake will do? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. And then you turn your back. And whatever toy, whatever thing you told him not to do, whatever snack you told him not to get into, that's all he could desire with all of his heart. That's Adam and Eve, and that is you and me. And we choose to run towards sin and our own desires and our own flesh. And we know instinctively that consequences will come and we will fail and we will suffer and it will hurt. But we cannot help ourselves. You know why we can't help ourselves? Because we are sinners. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. You can't help it. You can't fix it. You can't read enough self-help books and gurus. And you can't go to enough classes. And you can't meditate long enough. And you can't work out and exercise and get rid of the stress. And all the get enough sleep at night to stop sinning. You will fail over and over again. Good news. So God pronounces judgment on Adam and Eve. He says unto the woman... I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art and dust thou shalt return God tells Eve you're going to be greatly in sorrow and childbirth and labor and your your desire is going to be to rule over your husband and rule over your house and there's going to be war and bickering between you and your family because of it and Adam guess what you get to do you get to work in the dirt of the ground for the rest of your life and it's going to fight against you and you're going to struggle and you're going to strive and you're going to work until you die you're going to work yourself to death and then they're just going to bury you Man, you ever felt like, man, I'm working myself to death. Thank you, Adam. That's the curse. You work in the field, you work in the field, and 
they bury you in it. That, that is our lot in life. That is what we are given to do. That is, what, that is what sin does to us. It brings pain and suffering and hard work and death and struggle and strife. And those were the consequences of sin then. And they are the consequences of sin now. And sin separates us from God. He is holy and righteous. And we are unholy and unrighteous. And we cannot give ourselves wings and go up into heaven and commune with him and fix what's broken in us. And if we did somehow carry our unholiness into his presence, we would be consumed by his perfect righteousness and holiness it is a hopeless case and we are undone because of our sin but God would not leave you hopeless even in the garden God offered hope even in the moments following their sin even in the moments with the 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 taste of the forbidden fruit on their mouth God had a message of hope God had a message of deliverance God had a message of redemption I've heard it said you can go 40 days without food I can't but they say you can You can go four days without water. You can go four minutes without oxygen. But you can't go four seconds without hope. And so the Lord would not leave them hopeless. Even in the moment of their greatest betrayal. Even in the moment of their turning their back on God. God would not leave them hopeless. God turns to the serpent. Even before he offers judgment to Adam and Eve. He turns to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 verse 14 and 15. And he says, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. And above every beast of the field upon thy belly shalt thou go. And the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel in the very moment following the fall God declares Eve your seed is going to strive against the works of sin and one day one of those seed One day, a baby boy is going to be born to the line of Adam and Eve, and he will crush the head of the serpent. He will destroy what happened today. He will break what was broken today. He will fix what was undone today. He will put back together what was destroyed here today. One day, a Savior will come. One day, your seed will fix what was done here, and it will be all better again. One day, sin will be destroyed by a Savior. And in the process, that Savior will be wounded In the process, his heel will be bruised. A wound, a mortal wound will be given to that Savior. But there's coming a day. In Genesis 3, just 8 to 10 pages into your Bible, Jesus was promised. Just 8 to 10 pages into Scripture, before Noah, before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, before David, before Moses and Solomon, before Joseph, before any of the great patriarchs of the Old Testament, when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. It's because in Genesis 3, God said, I'm going to send a Savior, and He's going to fix what's broken in your life. He's going to fix what's destroyed in your home. He's going to fix what's ruined in your body. He is going to put put back together what was broken in the garden Jesus was promised 
Human history is still in its infancy, and the hope of the one that destroys sin has already been promised. The one that could defeat the devil is already declared. The one that could cross that barrier that our sin had created and come to us as our, in our fallen condition was declared before Adam and Eve ever left the garden. And this is the story of the Old Testament. The story, the theme of the Old Testament, as you read through it, you will discover it is expectation and longing. For the next thousand, three, four thousand years, every patriarch, every leader, every child of Israel, every child, every, every Egyptian slave, every person, they all have the same desire. They all have the same expectation. Maybe we'll live long enough to see the Messiah. Maybe we'll live long enough to see the promised one. If we'll just hold on, there's coming a day. There's coming a righteous Savior. If we'll just hold on, he'll show up and he'll fix what's broken. That is the story of the Old Testament. Over and over again, we see the destruction of sin. We see the failures of the greatest men and women in the history of the world. Because try as they may, they cannot save themselves from sin. Noah sins. Abraham and Sarah sin. Isaac and Jacob sin. Moses sin. David sins. Sin carries on. But so does the promise. But so does the promise. Every time they fail, they say, but there's coming one who won't fail. There's coming one who won't mess up. There's coming one who will fix what's broken in me. With every passing generation, parents would tell their children the story. There's coming a day. There's coming a savior. There is coming a deliverer one day. Everything that was broken will be fixed one day. We will know him for generations, they looked for him. Adam and Eve looked for him. They thought Cain was him. They thought Cain was the Savior. It wasn't Cain. Noah looked for him. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob looked for him. Moses and David and the prophets, they looked for him. They prophesied about him. They sang songs about him. They wrote, they wrote psalms about him. They said, there's coming a day. A Savior's going to come. He's going to save us. He's going to heal us. One day we're going to meet him. They all hoped they could touch him and feel him and hear him. In fact, the desire for that promised Messiah was so prevalent. Every good Jew that lived in those days knew he would one day come. In fact, the not-so-good Jews... And even the Samaritans, the half-Jews, the compromisers, those that were part child of God and part child of the world, they knew. There's a famous story in Scripture. Remember the woman at the well? The woman that was a social outcast because she had been married five times and all five marriages had failed. And now she's living with a guy who's not her husband. She was no scholar. She was no Bible teacher. She did not wear the fancy robes of a Pharisee or a Sadducee. No, she was a social outcast in a part of town where they were known as compromisers, where they were known as those who had forsaken the promises of God and rejected the laws of God. She did not have the education to know anything extraordinary about the Lord. But even she knew on the day that she met Jesus and he began to tell her everything that she had ever done. She exclaimed to him, I know that a Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Even she, even she, 
said, but I know. You don't understand. I know I'm in a bad spot. I know I'm in a bad condition. I know I've messed up a lot. But my mama told me and my grandpa told me and the preacher down at the church, he's told us one day a Messiah's coming. One day a deliverer's coming. One day a healer's coming. And he'll show me how to fix it. And he'll show me how to work it out. And Jesus said, the one that you're speaking about, that's me. You know that if you look through scripture, the first person that Jesus just overtly declares himself as the Messiah to is a woman at the well who had failed and had fallen down, had been rejected by her community. Jesus said, the one you're looking for, the one that Moses was looking for, the one that Abraham was looking for, the one that Isaac and Jacob and David were looking for, that's me. Everyone knew a Messiah was coming. Everyone believed that there was hope just around the corner. The promise carries Israel through the centuries, through defeat and capture and overthrow and famine and pestilence and war and even slavery. They expected and longed for the one that could right the wrongs and heal the brokenhearted and preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. They, they longed for the one that could set at liberty them that are bruised. They searched for the one that would be given, whose name would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. You know when Isaiah prophesied that, it was 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. He said, there's coming one. He's going to be a baby boy, and the government's going to sit on his shoulders, and he's going to be a wonderful counselor. Mighty God, he wasn't looking back at Jesus. He was looking forward. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Think about it. Put yourself in their position. In John 1, Jesus finds Andrew. He first he finds Andrew and he says, follow me. And the first thing that Andrew does is he goes and he finds his brother Simon. And he says, unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. We found him. We found the one. And then when Jesus, just a few verses later, calls Philip, Philip even says it better than that. In John 1, 45, Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Sometimes we just buzz right over that and we miss what we're looking at. But Philip is saying to Nathanael, We've read about it and we've heard about it and we've preached about it and we've gone to synagogue about it. But Jesus is the one that the prophets that Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel that they spoke about he is here he is here the Savior is here he is here he has arrived the search is over if the theme of the Old Testament is expecting and longing for a Savior the theme of the New Testament is Jesus is the Savior he is the one he's the one we were searching for he's the one we were hoping for remember at Jesus's eighth day when they take him to the temple for circumcision Simeon is there and he sees baby Jesus and he looks on him and he says, now I can die. I have finally seen the face of the one we've always been looking for. They were searching for a savior. Jesus is the one that was promised in the garden. Jesus is the one that was promised in the law. Jesus is the one that was promised to the patriarchs and to the prophets. 
But remember the promise declared that one that would defeat the serpent would be wounded in the process. Remember David said his hands and feet would be pierced. Remember Isaiah said he is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That was prophesied 700 years before Jesus would ever put a cross on his back and climb Calvary's hill. Because the promise for a savior has existed long before Jesus ever came to earth. He was the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. He was behold the lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. He was in the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. And he dwelt among us as the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. He's always existed, and he's always existed for you, and he's always been on its way for you. And today is your day of salvation to meet him and to be set free. That is the gospel that you need to hear. The prophecies were never for a conquering king, but for a wounded savior who would take our place. The wages of sin is death, but our savior was always going to pay the price for us. I want you to think about it. What happened in the Garden of Eden? They sinned. The, the promise was that the moment you eat of the fruit, or the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. Sometimes people say, well, why didn't Adam and Eve choke on the, the, the fruit and, and just fall over dead? Why didn't that happen? The Bible says that when the Lord appears, he takes a spotless lamb without sin, without shame, and he kills that lamb, and he covers their sin. He covers their nakedness. He covers their shame. Now they didn't receive the fullness of redemption at that moment. But a picture was placed there that day. That one day a lamb would be slain. A spotless lamb. An innocent lamb. And it would take our place. And while we should die. That blood would take our place. And down through the ages that lamb took our place. And substitution became a process by which we could be saved. And Abraham one day said God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide. Not for himself but himself he will become the lamb that will save us from our sins and so Jesus comes from heaven to earth to be that savior and so Jesus takes that cross he came and he lived and he died that in place of death we might have eternal life this is the gospel this is the good news we are sinners far from God with a penalty we cannot pay but the old song says it like this Jesus paid it all come on clap your hands unto the Lord today Jesus paid it all Jesus paid it all he was my promised savior he was my promised deliverer he paid it all that's the good news that's why we rejoice. That's why we sing. That's why we clap and give and dance and pray and faithfully attend church. Like Nathaniel and like Andrew and Philip and like Peter and Simon, we have found him. We found him. Would you just lift your hands today as the presence of the Lord begins to fill this room? Jesus is in this room here right now. 
here right now. The presence of the Lord is here. I can feel him in the atmosphere. The presence of the, the Savior, the one declared in Genesis 3, the one declared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Noah and Daniel and David. He is here. He is here. He is here. Why don't you stand to your feet and keep your hands high today? I'm sure this is nothing new that you haven't heard before, but this is the gospel message. And the gospel saves souls today. The gospel saves to the uttermost the message that Jesus came and died on the cross and he was buried in a grave. But my God, he didn't stay in the grave. On the third day, the stone was rolled away and he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he rose again. We read this morning, Paul is preaching and he says, this is the gospel that you have been taught. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. This is the message, the good news that the apostles preached all throughout the New Testament. Everywhere they went, when they preached, when they preached in Jerusalem, they preached the death, burial, and resurrection. When they preached in Samaria, they preached the death, burial, and resurrection. When they preached in the wilderness to the Ethiopian eunuch, they preached the death, burial, and resurrection. When they preached in Acts 10 to Cornelius and the the, uh, Gentiles, thank God the Gentiles got to hear this message. When they preached it to the Gentiles, they preached Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And you know what everyone did when they heard this message? You know what they all did? You can read it for yourself. You can fact check me. You know what they all did? When they heard this message, they said, what do we do? What what must we do? We've been waiting on him for thousands of years. And he arrived and we rejected him. He arrived and we crucified him. He arrived and we turned our backs on him. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came unto his own and his own knew him not. They said he came and we missed it. Are you serious? We missed it. We've been looking for it forever. We know all the signs. We know all the requirements. We know all the prophecies. He has to be born of a virgin in Jerusalem. He has to be. And and it all happened just like that. And somehow we, we missed it. What what must we do? The Apostle Peter preached this message that I'm preaching probably far more eloquently and under far greater anointing. But on the day of Pentecost, he preached Jesus was the promised Messiah. We know that to be true because he missed many marvelous works and because he has been raised from the dead. Then Peter said, this same Jesus who you killed, he is the Lord. We have always been waiting for He is the Christ. Now when they heard this, the Bible says, when they heard this preaching, the Bible says they were pricked in their hearts. Oh, are you serious? He was the one. Now what? What do we do now? And then Peter said unto them, oh, I'm glad Peter was preaching that day. See, Peter had had to ask that question. He had rejected him. He had denied him. 
Peter had been a recipient of great grace. I'm glad Peter was preaching that day. If some of us were preaching that day, we'd say, what do you do? You know what you can do. You can go kick rocks, buddy. You kill Jesus. You get out of here. Oh, but that's not what Peter said. He said, repent. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your sin. Get off that path that you're walking and get on his path. Walk with Jesus. Repent. Repent. Oh, repentance has fallen on hard times in North America. Repentance has fallen on hard times in 2020. People think it's bigot, bigotism or being a bigot or being judgmental or, or, or looking down my nose. They think I think I'm, I'm good and you're bad and I'm telling you what you need to do. Oh, no, that's not repentance. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. There's all sorts of ways that can cost you your, your sanity and your peace and your joy. There's alcoholism and drug addiction. And there's, uh, there's sexual immorality and, and the love of money. There's many, many ways that lead to destruction. But there's only one way that leads to eternal life. And that way is Jesus. And when we turn, and we turn away from all those other ways, and we get on that narrow path, and we begin walking with Him, there's joy, and there's peace, and there's happiness happiness and there's the Holy Ghost oh get off that broad way that leads to destruction and get on the narrow way get on the narrow way that's what repentance is repentance is turning around repentance is a redo it's a reset I'm so behind on this score I'll never catch up I'll never pay the balance so let's start back over at zero let's let Jesus blood pay the difference that's what repentance is and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins when you repent of your sins God forgives when we are faithful to confess our sins he is faithful to forgive our sins but we carry the stain we carry the shame and the embarrassment we carry the frustration we carry, the, we carry the ugly past with us. But Peter preached and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm so glad that Peter wasn't some rogue agent preaching something he shouldn't have been preaching. The Bible says that Peter and the apostles and the disciples were there. They were all there. They were all cheering him on. They were saying, yeah, Peter, that's it. That's what Jesus taught us. That just what, that's what Jesus expressed to us. Jesus said, he who believeth on me and is baptized shall be saved. He who believeth not shall be damned. Peter was preaching what Jesus had preached. He said, repent and be baptized and your sins will be washed away and you'll be delivered of your sins and the blood of Jesus will save you from your sins you know what the people there that day did the Bible says that they that gladly received the word about 3,000 of them were baptized Oh, if I had time, I would preach to you. Don't delay. Don't wait. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till Easter Sunday. Don't wait till you can gather up all the family. Don't wait till you can post about it on social media and, and get a lot of eyes and attention on you. No, don't wait. Gladly receive this word today that my Savior, I know that my Savior liveth and decide today. I want to be washed in the blood. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be covered by His grace today. shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and you shall receive the gift of the
the Holy Ghost. This is what the apostles preached all throughout the Word of God. They preached it over and over again. The people that followed their circuit went where they went. They said, man, we've heard this message before. But this is what they preached because this is the gospel that saves to the uttermost. You're a sinner. You're far from God. You cannot fix it. You cannot be good enough. You cannot, you cannot be righteous enough or holy enough. You can't attend church faithfully enough or put enough offering in the offering plate. You can't go to enough fundraisers and enough prayer meetings. You can't save yourself. But Jesus came. And when we turn to him, but when we turn to him and we say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean in the waters of baptism. Fill me with your Holy Ghost over and over and over again. He pours it out. He pours it out. His grace is sufficient where sin doth abound. Grace does that much more abound. Well, I'm out of time. I've been out of time. My timer is blinking red zeros. I don't want to over-preach what the Lord wants to do today. But the Lord wants somebody today to, for the very first time, repent of their sins. Say, Lord, I believe. I believe you're the one. I believe that you're my only hope of salvation. I believe you're the only hope of eternal life. Jesus wants somebody today. If you'll attune your ear to what thus saith the Lord, the Lord is saying this word was for you. You can have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism. The waters of baptism can be troubled today, and you can have your sins washed away today. Right now, in this service, you can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ can come to live inside of you and fill your life with joy and peace and happiness in the Holy Ghost. Would you lift your hands one more time unto the Lord? I'm, I'm trying to follow the leading of the Lord and what he would have us do next. Come on, lift your voice unto the Lord. Lord Jesus, have thine own way. Have thine own way, Lord. God, this service is for you to do your will. This service is for you to do your work. God, you know what we need. God, give us guidance. Give us direction. what we're going to do right where you are before we open this altar right where you are we're all going to repent of our sins Paul man who wrote two thirds of the New Testament historian says the third most influential man to ever live behind Jesus and Muhammad that man said I die daily every day I repent every day I ask for forgiveness every day. The way my imagination works, I believe before Paul's feet hit the floor, every morning his knees hit the floor, he rolled out of bed and said, God, forgive me of my sins. So you may think to yourself, I've repented before, but we're going to repent again. All across this congregation, would you just lift your hands right now? Lord Jesus, we pray. God, we thank you for your grace, and we know that it is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient, and we call on that grace to bring forgiveness of sins, to bring deliverance of the captives, to set at liberty them that are bruised. 
to bring sight to the blind. Lord Jesus, forgive me for every lie I've ever told. Forgive me for every time I've cursed your name, for every time that I felt you drawing my heart and inviting me to the cross of Calvary, and I turned and I ran a different direction. Lord, forgive me, but today is going to be different. Today is the day that I put my hand in your hand, and I make you the Lord and master of my life, and I give you preeminence, and I give you you the rule over my days and my nights and my weeks and my months and years. I give you my life, Lord Jesus. I give you my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me, O Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message spoke into your life, your heart, or whatever situation you may be going through. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at lifechurch.ca on Instagram. And on Facebook, search Life Church, and you will find our navy blue logo with the letters LC in the middle. We thank you for your support and love you all. Have a wonderful week and God bless.